to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Verse 1, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And it's for this reason that God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, And hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. And may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope of by grace may comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Father, there is a lot packed in this passage, in this one chapter. God, remove me. Take me out of the way that you would be seen. God, we came here to hear your word. We came here to learn from you. Lord, help us to walk out of this place honestly being able to say, I know the Lord better right now than I did when I walked in. That is our goal. That is our hope. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we know that that can be accomplished. And so, Lord, I pray that you do a work in each and every one of us today. There's a word here for everyone in this room. There is a message. There is a nugget. There is a truth. There is a life-transforming knowledge or instruction from you, Lord, for every single individual in this room. God, tune our ears that we might hear. Prepare our hearts that we might receive. And allow our mind and our heart to be transformed, to be that man, be that woman that you want us to be as we walk out of this place today. God, do a work in us. God, the message, the nugget that might hit one person might not be the nugget that hits another. In fact, that nugget might not even have anything to do with the message today. God, you know how oftentimes I'll hear a message and something completely out of context, God, you use in my life a truth that you just reveal. It's like you put a light on it and it just blows my mind. It had nothing to do really even with the message. But God, you spoke to me in that one word or in that verse or in something that the pastor said. Or in something that you brought up into my mind or my heart at that time. And I wrote it down. And God, you did a work in me. And so God, I pray that every one of us can leave out of here differently than we walked in here. And may it be closer to you. 
So, Lord, we offer up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Um, last week, I tried to do my best in, in sharing with you what had happened, that there were those that were you know, coming into the church and they were saying, hey, the day of Christ is already here. It's happening right now, you know, or it is, it's already passed. You guys have missed it, you know, and so they will, they, they have come into the church there in Thessalonica and in Laodicea and they had come in and they had begun to try to capture the hearts of the people that they would follow them and their erroneous doctrine because anytime a group of people come together, whether it be small or whether it be large, there's always going to be others that come in to try to usurp and take control. It's just sometimes the nature of the individual that wants to come in and, 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 and be the leader of, of a flock that maybe wasn't theirs. And so what, you know, I tried to share that last week in gentleness and in, you know, in heart, but hey, a small church like us, it's happened so many times over the years. Um, I've had guys that have asked me, hey, you know, if you want to go back to California, you can go. We'll be okay, you know, and, and, and I'll, I'll take over the flock. I'm going, man, God, God didn't share that with me, you know? Hey, uh, you know, it's okay for you to move. Thinking, well, you want me to go? I mean, is it something you want me to do? I mean, is it something that you're wanting me out of here? Well, no, 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 no. But I mean, it's okay for you to go because I'll, I'll, I'll take over for you. And I'm like, well, I, I, thank you for that. But if the Lord shares that with me, it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it under consideration. I had a guy that had been ostracized from his church because he had cheated on his wife and, you know, had a relationship with his secretary and he'd been out of church for five years and, and he had just been away. And he would come to our church. It wasn't in this building, but he would come to our church and he would stand outside the door and he would look inside. And he did it for like two or three weeks straight. And I thought, what's going on with this guy? And I walked out one day after it was all over and he never came into the church. And I went out and I talked to him. And he told me that, hey, I was a pastor of a church and I did some stupid stuff and here's what happened. I did that. And so I just don't feel like I'm worthy to come into a church. And then, well, there's not one person that's worthy to go into a church. Amen. There's not an individual that's worthy to come into a church. Uh, save Jesus Christ. But that shouldn't stop us from ever, ever assembling ourselves together. As is the manner of some, right of Hebrews said, right? We, we are to come together and we're to learn, we're to grow together. Uh, you know, a church isn't a, isn't a building filled with perfect people. It's basically a hospital with a bunch of injuries. And a bunch of mental people. Me. You know? And, and God is doing a work on us. That's what He's doing. I mean, so, you know, when people go, I don't go to church because there's a lot of hypocrites there. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody that's perfect that goes into a church. Now, if someone's living in hypocrisy, a pastor is living in hypocrisy, you don't want that, obviously. You know, there's a, there's a, there's logic there and there's reason there. But as far as the people, and so I, I, I talked to this fellow and I, I, I said, well, why don't you come into the church? Why don't you come in? I'm inviting you. I'm the pastor. Why don't you come in and sit? It, it don't, you know, sounds like you're repentant. Yes, I am. I guess I'm having a hard time getting back in. And so I, I welcomed this guy in and I brought him in and about two or three months later, he, He's patting me on the back and he's saying, hey, a bunch of us have gotten together and we're, we're, we're thinking that maybe we want to do something else with the church. And I'm like, what? And, and he came in and, and he took me to, you know, he was a big spender. He took me to McDonald's over on Cattleman. <laughs> and he was, he was basically asking to take over the church. I'm like, really? Come on, man. And he had secretly gone into the church and he started to, to try to, to take my, 
the congregation. And I, listen, this is not my congregation. I'm a jealous pastor. If somebody comes in and starts to mess with you, uh, you, you know, I'm a pretty gentle guy, but I have fangs. And, and I can, I can get, I can, I can, I can become pretty protective at times. You know, we had those people out here that were trying to, you know, sitting out here with their table, you know, a few months ago and ended up having to move them on. And I went out gently and in love. And then they got vicious. And it, it, I had to become very stern. You need to leave. You need to go and you need to go now. And I'm not afraid to confront. I'm not afraid to protect as a shepherd. But I, I also understand that I have to hold on to the congregation very loosely because you're not my sheep. You're God's sheep. I'm simply here to be a shepherd for the Lord to do. I'm like a sheepdog. I've used that illustration before. A sheepdog doesn't do anything in and of himself or for himself. A sheepdog is an extended arm of the shepherd, right? And and so when the shepherd is telling the sheepdog, you know, he whistles or he does whatever a shepherd does in order to gather the attention of a sheepdog to, to corral some sheep in and to bring them back away from danger. The uh the sheep is not the sheepdog is not doing it in, in and of his own accord. He's not doing it if according to his own mind. He's doing something that the shepherd wants him to do. And so he has to protect the sheep the way that the shepherd would protect the sheep. The, the, the sheepdog doesn't go and take any of the sheep and move them off into another pasture away from the shepherd, you see. And and so I, I'm nothing more than just a sheepdog. I'm an extended arm, hopefully and prayerfully, of the Lord. And so if the Lord wants, and I've shared this with you just even as of recently, if the Lord moves a sheep on or a family on, I'm not to hold on to them and put a leash on them and say, go, get back in here. I'm simply to be a pastor of the people that God puts into my flock and to point you to him. The thing is, is when you're a small church, even when you're a large church, which I've been a part of huge churches, some of the biggest churches in America, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, 30,000 at the time. Calvary Chapel, Costa, or Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. When I was there, it was only 12,000, but it puffed up to 24 or 25,000. I've been a part of big churches. My singles group was, we baptized 80, you know, in, in our, you know, my singles group. Every weekend, we'd, we'd have 400 singles, 500 singles, you know, coming for a, for a, a barbecue and a teaching from me and we had a worship band and what have you. I've been a part of huge churches, and I've been a part of very small churches, too, this being the smallest one. There's always somebody trying to get in and and move and distort and distract the sheep. And, and that's what that's what Paul was 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 talking about. Don't get tripped up by these guys. The only way for us to really know how to not get tripped up, gang, is to know the word. We have to know the veracity of the word. We need to know the truth. We need to know God's word ourselves. Don't just rely on me. Don't just rely on a pastor. Don't just rely on a teacher. Rely on the great teacher. Rely on Jesus. Rely on the Lord and his word. He'll reveal it to you. He'll, he'll, he'll teach you in his word. One of the reasons why they call it the dark ages. We've heard of the dark ages. The Dark Ages, you know why they call it the Dark Ages? is because they took the light away from the people. The, the spiritual leaders, and I use that very loosely, the preachers, the priests, they would teach the people in a different language than they knew. Because... They felt like the people, the congregation, the laity couldn't handle God's word. And so we would teach you in a different language. And, and I wonder what, what good ever came out of that? 
They took the Word of God out of man's hands so that man couldn't look at the Word themselves and grow in Jesus themselves. And, and, and it's the dark ages. It's taken the light out of our hands. Get into the Word. Know that we are in a blessed nation. I know we're in a lot of turmoil, but we are still a very, very blessed nation where you can publicly walk around with this Bible in your hand. You can open it up every day. Do it and know it. Be a smart Christian. Be a prepared Christian. Because Paul says, listen, don't be shaken. As if either by spirit or by word or by letter or even by us, that the day of Christ had already come. He, he says in verse 5, Don't you remember when I was still with you? I told you these things. These were going to happen. I, I'm doing the same kind of thing right now as Paul did with the, with the Thessalonians. I'm saying, hey, you might not always be in this fellowship, but know this, you will all, any, any fellowship you go to, know this, there's always going to be someone trying to usurp and trying to take and lead captive Christians away from, and they'll sound spiritual. They'll say spiritual things. They'll, they'll use spiritual, they'll use the Bible. Satan used the Bible with Jesus, didn't he? What, what did, what did Jesus do? He used the word also to combat what the enemy, Satan himself, was trying to twist and contort to try to get Jesus to become captive to him. Be careful. Know this. Satan did that to Jesus. Know this. He's going to do it to you. He's going to do it to me. The only way we can combat that, guys, is to know the word ourselves. So Paul says, listen, they've come in and they've said that the day of Christ had come or is presently upon us. Uh, don't let him deceive you by any means, all right? And then he says, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Uh, it, that word uh, falling away is is a word which is apostasy. We talked about that the last time uh, in my message that I had up here on the screen last week. Apostasy. It's a it's a a a becoming cold to the things of the truth of the word. It's it's diametrically opposed to a to a church that is seeking out after God's heart. It's an apostasy of people that are turning their back on God. I I I think that that's what's happening to us right now, in in our nation, and even in our world. I can't really speak much of the world, but I can speak in our nation. I see what's going on in our nation. Don't you? We see that there's a lot of people that are turning their back on the Lord. And I would say even within the church, the church, and I talked about that in the message, the church is beginning to water down the truth of the gospel so much so that you don't even know what you're getting saved from. The largest church in America won't talk about hell, won't talk about sin. And again, I use that word church very lightly. John MacArthur uh, was asked, uh, and I don't agree with everything John MacArthur says, but the guy, yeah, I do agree with a lot. I don't, I don't agree with his views on the gifts of the Spirit. I don't, I don't agree with some of his hard stances on Calvinism, but there's a lot I do agree with him on. There was a, a conference that he went to called Preach the Word out at, actually at a church that I used to be a part of and, and go to. It was Greg Laurie's church out in Riverside, Harvest Christian Fellowship. And there was a, a, a conference that they had out there called Preach the Word. And it was a phenomenal conference. I have it still on my phone. And I listened to it. It was phenomenal. John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, Greg Laurie, uh, um, uh, Jack Graham, uh, James McDonald was there, and uh, there was a lot of other guys, but um, James Merritt. And, and these guys were there, and they, they taught, and it was a phenomenal conference. But John MacArthur was one of those guys. He was sitting there, and they did an answer, a question-and-answer period with some of the pastors that were up here. And somebody asked, you know, John, John MacArthur was saying, you know, somebody asked me one time, John... There's a church down the street that is using the name of your church, Grace Community Church. 
does that upset you? And he goes, I, I, I'm not upset. John said, I answered him, I'm, I'm not upset. And it was a very liberal church. It was, it was a church that was not teaching anything close to what it was that his, his fellowship taught. He says, I'm not so offended that they use the word grace. I just am offended that they use the word church. Because it's not really a church if it's not going to teach the truth of the word of God. Gang, we've got to know. We've got to be, we've got to be, we can't rely on everybody else. We have got to get into the word ourselves. We've got to know. You have got, I'm not saying this, you know, to somebody, man, they should have been here to hear this. No, I'm speaking to you. This is for you. You need to know the word. Don't rely on someone else. You need to know the word. Because we're in a very, very, very perilous time right now. Paul says that in the end times, an apostasy is going to happen. An apostasy isn't from the unbelieving world not following the Lord. An apostasy is the believing world that begins to cool and walk away and turn their back on the Lord. That's an apostasy. That's a walking away from God. And it's happening in great, you know, measure in the church, in especially in the United States today. We've got to be very careful. But know this, and, and it's not something I pray for. I don't pray for an apostasy. I really don't pray for that. Even though what Paul says, listen, the day of Christ is not going to come until this great apostasy begins to happen. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. That's what Paul said. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now I gotta hurry up with this because there's a lot that I would like to talk. I'm probably gonna break this up into two messages, but here's the thing. The apostasy has gotta happen. The son of perdition, the man of sin is gonna be revealed. That which is restraining will be taken out of the way. The man of sin isn't gonna come on the scene. Until that which is restraining is taken out of the way, it says there in uh, um, verse 7 and 8. It says here that for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume. With the breath of his mouth and destroy the brightness of his coming. And, and, and so here's the thing. There's something restraining... I believe the Antichrist from coming on the scene. Paul says there's going to be an apostasy in the church and there is going to be the one who restrains taken out of the way and then the son of, then the, 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 uh, uh, the man of sin, the son of perdition will be revealed. <coughs> the lawless one will come. The lawless one, the coming of the lawless one, verse 9, is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those all, all those who perish. Before I go any farther in that, because I've got something I really need to talk about in that, that you really need to understand, and I want to make it as clear as I possibly can, but know this, I believe we're talking about the Antichrist coming on the scene. And so there's a lot of people in the church go, oh, who's the Antichrist? Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? Was Obama the Antichrist? You know, everybody, anytime any leader starts to rise up, you know, people within the church that may not be very well versed, they begin to point out, hey, that leader right there can turn people in and, and turn them away, and, and, and that's the Antichrist. <laughs> That must be the Antichrist. That must be the Antichrist because that, look at what he can do. His numbers of his name, they add up to 666. We know that back in, in the book of Revelation. But here's the thing. There are those that say, well, can we ever know who the Antichrist is? I don't think we, we ever will. I don't think that we're going to know as Christians. If you're a Christian, I don't believe you're going to know. Well, you'll know in heaven, but by that time it doesn't worry. It, there's no worry for you. Paul has been talking to the, to the Thessalonians and the Laodiceans about the rapture. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right? Remember that verse, four, verse uh, 17? You remember what he said? 
Backing up in verse 13, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Let me, before I go into that, let me just say this. Because I'm going to talk about the rapture of the church here in a second. The lawless one is coming on the scene and people will ask, who's the lawless one? I would say that from the very moment that the prophecy was given back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, that there was going to be enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. There's always been on the scene. Satan doesn't know who the Antichrist is going to be. I don't believe Satan knows who the Antichrist is going to be. He's going to come. Santa Christ is going to come by the power of Satan. But I think Satan is just sitting around going, okay, at what point do I then put my power upon an individual? I believe that there's an Antichrist been on the scene. There's multiple Antichrists been on the scene all through the ages because Satan doesn't know who it's going to be. But he's ready and prepared to bestow his power upon that individual that will one day He'll be shot in the head and his eye be gone. Sword will pierce through his head and he'll die, but then he'll rise again. That'll freak people out and he'll say, I'm the Christ. So the Bible talks about with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The Antichrist is coming on the scene. These guys are trying to tell the church the Antichrist is on the scene right now. Jesus has already come. The Antichrist is on the scene. We're in the midst of it right now. There's a lot of people that even to this day, there's people in the church that say, oh, we're right now in the middle of a tribulation period. I don't have time to get into all of the eschatological issues here, you know, in the time that we have that's very limited. But for the sake of, you know, this study, to give you a very quick rundown, what I believe is happening, I believe the next thing on the agenda, prophetic chat calendar, is the rapture of the church. I believe that there's a time where Jesus is going to take us out of the way. I'm going to back some of it up right here in just a second. And after that, it's going to start a seven-year tribulation period a seven-year period that is spoken of back in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. It's also spoken all the way through the book of from chapters uh, uh, 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation. What happens in the midst of that, or what happens in the tribulation period. And people say, well, Jesus says in this world you're going to have tribulation, so we're in the tribulation. No, that was a tribulation with a small t, not a big t. Jesus says... Be of good cheer, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But Jesus talks about that tribulation time, and he says, listen, the tribulation is going to happen. He says in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, hey, many are going to come in my name saying, hey, he's the, I'm the Christ. They're going to deceive many, and you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. It's not yet, okay? Nation is going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and pestilences and, and earthquakes in various places. There's more earthquakes in the last 50 years than there ever has been recorded. Pestilence. We have pestilence that is even gripping the countries even right now. It's amazing how many people are wearing uh, uh, masks on all my flights. You know, they, everybody, so many people are wearing masks in the airports now. I'm, I'm not blaming them, but there's a lot of people wearing masks because of that Wuhan virus or the coronavirus, uh, you know, from the people from Wuhan. Jesus says in verse 8 of chapter 24 of Matthew, all these things are the beginning of sorrows, of birth pangs, is what that is. These are the things that are going to happen. Then they're going to deliver you guys up, the church, up to tribulation, and they're going to kill you. They're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. 
which betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. But, Jesus says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken, this is Jesus' words, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, it's about to get real. He goes on, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him, him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Where do those who are pregnant and nursing in those days? It's going to be a tough time. It's going to be a tough time. Pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Why? Is he saying not on the Sabbath? Because I believe we're talking about the Jews right now. I believe that Jesus is talking about the Jews. We don't, we don't hold the Sabbath as a holy day, as, as something that you have to have, you know, you don't do anything on the Sabbath. Because here's the thing. The Lord is the, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That every day is a Sabbath to us. Because Jesus, Sabbath is rest. Jesus became our rest. It, he is our rest every single day when we wake up. We are living in the rest of Jesus Christ. We're living in the Sabbath on a day-by-day basis. But as far as this Jew is concerned, he still observes a day as a Sabbath. Jesus says, pray that your, your flight will not be on that uh, on a, on the, in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. That's with a capital T. Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And those, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those will be shortened. So if anyone says to you, look here, there's the Christ, or there, hey, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets are going to arise and they show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus says, see, I have told you even beforehand. Therefore, if they say, look, he's in the desert, hey, don't go out. Or, or look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Set. Boom. Taking us out of here. Where the carcasses there, the eagles will be gathered. Immediately after the tribulation, those days, the sun will be darkened. Moon will not give its light. So immediately after the tribulation, tribulation time is from chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, we see a, a, a plan laid out for a seven-year period where God still has seven years that he's going to be dealing with his nation, Israel. Israel is a huge player in these days. It's one of the reasons why I reject, I, I, I don't reject, but I, I come against any government of the United States that comes against the state of Israel. I don't like that. I'm a supporter, I'm a strong supporter of Israel. Been there a couple of times. Those are still God's chosen people. God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. And according to the word, I believe that there's 144,000 Jews that are going to come out of that. Not 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? 144,000 Jews that are going to come in that tribulation period that are going to be basically many Billy Grahams. They're all going to be evangelists that go out and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. But it's going to be through a seven-year tribulation period. What's the seven-year tribulation period? It's a time where God pours out His wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. God sent His Son into the world to save the world, but not to condemn the world. And when those who are saved, there's coming a day when those who are saved, that the church age will end. The Bible talks about it. Man, I could really go on, on this for a long time. But 
Revelation chapter 1. A lot of people, a lot of pastors won't talk about Revelation. They don't like Revelation. Say, oh, there's too many allegories in there. There's too many figures. You know, uh, you know, it's too figurative. Well, it's the only book in all of the Bible that says that you are blessed if you read and you understand the words of this prophecy. Um, I believe that uh, in Revelation chapter 1, we have a, a basic outline spelled out in, in verse 19 of chapter 1 of the outline of the book of Revelation. Jesus talking to John, he says, Write the things which you have seen, past, the things which are present, and the things that will take place, which will take place after this, in the future. So you got the past, you got the present, and you got the future. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, the thing in the past, with things which are in the present, and the which things, and the things which will take place after this. After what? The word after this is in the Greek is meta tauta. Two words, meta tauta. After this, or after these things is what it means, literally. After these things. And so Jesus is talking to John, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. After what things? The very next thing that he talks about is chapters 2 and 3. And he lifts up and he describes seven churches in the through the history of mankind. Or through the history of, of, of the church, not the mankind. But from the time that Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, breathed on the church, the church became a church. The believers became the church, where the Holy Spirit came and dwelt inside of the individual. Because prior to that, we talked a little bit about this on Tuesday night with the men, in men's study. Prior to the Holy Spirit coming into an individual, Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14. He says, guys, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I've got to go away. All right? I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. The comforter. He's with you, but he will be in you. Okay, there's a difference. When the disciples were living and were living with Christ and walking with Christ, Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, John chapter 16. For if I do not go away, I cannot send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Why? Because when Jesus was walking the face of this earth, he was indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. Being one part of the Holy Trinity. And as Jesus was walking, the Holy Spirit was empowering him to do all the things that he did upon the face of the earth. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because I'm one individual. And when I'm one individual walking around with the power of the Holy Spirit in me, you have one individual affecting the world. But when I go away, greater things are you guys going to do than I have. Why? Because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit into you, and I am going to do my work through all of you. It's a blessing that you and I get the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit inside of us, indwelling us. Jesus said, and, and, and disciples right now, you don't know what that means. You don't know what that feels like. You don't know what that, the experience of that, because right now the Holy Spirit is only with you. But one day he will be in you. When Jesus died and he rose again, John chapter 20, verse 21, I believe is what it is. Or it's 2120. 2021 or 2120. I don't remember. One of those two. He says, Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And it says, Jesus breathed on them. This is after he had risen from the dead. 
He breathed on the disciples and he said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, I'm going to say this real quick. If Jesus says, if he breathes on someone and says, receive the Holy Spirit, I may be stupid, I may be dumb, but I'm going to just assume that they received the Holy Spirit at that time. All right? The Holy Spirit came inside of the disciples for the first time in their life. They are experiencing the Holy Spirit indwelling them for the first time in their life. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us when we come to Christ. We don't, we don't, we don't know what it feels like to be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have an advantage over the disciples. But the church today is this. The church is those who have the Holy Spirit in them. Okay? The church, the Holy Spirit comes into a believer upon regeneration when they become a Christian. All right? Chapters 2 and 3, there are seven different churches that Jesus talks about. He gives, you know, some applause. He gives some warnings. He gives some rebuke. He gives some encouragement. He gives some instruction and some exhortation, but there's seven churches that he talks about. Chapter 1, looking at verse 19 of chapter of chapter 1 of Revelation, the things which you have seen, that's the past. That's chapter 1. The things which are are chapters 2 and 3. It's the church age. The Holy Spirit is inside of the church. The Holy Spirit is inside of the believer. This is important for you to understand. This is inside of a believer. He's inside of you and me. This is going to make sense in just a second. I can't take, this is going to go, okay, it might be two more weeks, okay? (laughs) This is a really, 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 really important time, guys. it's, It's an important time. And I don't want to get sidetracked here, but Paul says, man, you're blessed that God chose you. Think about this. God chose you to represent him in these last days. Let's not blow it. Okay, but going back to what I'm saying, the Holy Spirit comes into a believer. What is the church? It's the gathering of the saints, right? To be a member of a church is not to sign a document that says, hey, I'm a part of Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship, of which we don't have one of those. Yeah, hey, what church do you go to? What What church are you a member of? And those of you who have been a member of our church for any amount of time, you know you've never had to fill anything out. The only thing you've ever felt out, filled out, if you wanted to, you filled out, filled out something because you wanted to be on a directory so that people could get a hold of you. We don't have a membership role here. If you're a believer, if you have a relationship with Jesus, hey, call us home. That's great. We're a fellowship of believers that come together. Because... A document that I sign and you sign is not a document that is not, that document doesn't, really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make you a member of the church. A church is is just a gathering of like-minded believers. When we call it Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship or whatever you want to call your church, it's a gathering of people that have like-mindedness, okay? But that doesn't make the church. The church is where the Holy Spirit is residing in the, in the in the heart, in the lives of individuals. And we come together. The one like-mindedness is we, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. There's a church. The church age is where the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Prior to the church age, the disciples, up to the disciples... The Holy Spirit was with individuals. I know I'm painstakingly going through this and really kind of spelling it. I'm trying to bring it out and, and spell it out to where it's, it's, it's simplistic in this. Because I want you to understand and to catch what it is that I'm about to say. If you've never seen this, it's going to blow your mind. So up to Jesus dying and rising again and breathing into the disciples and the Holy Spirit coming into the believer, the Holy Spirit was just with Anyone, even a believer. 
But after Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came into the individual. Came into the individual believer. Into you and into me. Okay? And so now we're being led by the Holy Spirit. Then there comes a time. So, so that's the church age. Chapters 2 and chapters 3 of Revelation talk about seven different churches, all the things that I just said. You know, Jesus gives instruction, what have you. But chapter 4 begins a different section. Something happens in chapter 4. Jesus told John, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things, or metatauta. Okay? So chapters 2 and chapters 3 is the church age. Because Jesus is talking to seven churches. That's all he does. He starts He starts with uh, uh, the church of Ephesus, and he ends with the church of Laodicea. Seven different churches at the beginning verse, chapter 1 of uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, he begins to talk about the church of Ephesus. He never stops talking. Then he goes on to the next church, and the next church, the next church, the next church, until he gets to the church of Laodicea, which is the seventh church, and when he finishes speaking, chapter two, or chapter two and three are over, and then chapter four begins. Now mind you, the chapters, John didn't write this in chapter form. This is just a break. A break happened. We have these chapter breaks and verses there to help us to easily query scripture. So we can find things. This is not a, you know, something that, that the Holy, you know, that, that God, you know, ordained or what have you. This is just, this is for reference purposes. That's chapters and verses and what have you. But what you can see is from the moment he begins to talk about the church of Ephesus and the moment that he ends talking about the church of Laodicea, he has just explained the church age. You are a member of one of these churches. You're a member of one of those seven churches in there. I would encourage you, it's a whole other study I'd love to get into, uh, and I don't have any time to do that today. I'll probably address some of it, you know, in the next days or next couple studies. But here's the thing. When you reach the end of what that section, Jesus gets done talking about the church age. He then says, in verse, in verse one of chapter four, it begins, after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Wait a minute. Did you hear what I just said? After these things. It's the same exact words that Jesus said in verse 19 of chapter 1. The things which will take place after these things. Meta tauta. He begins chapter 4, verse 1, by saying, Meta tauta. I saw a door standing open in heaven. John chapter 1, I think it's verse 51, talks about a door standing open in heaven. Well, let me, let me read it to you real quick. Matthew, or I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Words Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus Christ is how you get into heaven. It's how you get into heaven. The door open, it's through Jesus. Jacob's ladder that we read back in Genesis chapter, I think it's 26, 27, Jacob, his ladder, the ladder that he, he saw there in Bethel when he, when he was dreaming and he saw, hey, this place, Bethel, they changed the name of the, he changed the name of the place to Bethel because this has got to be Beth El. Beth is house, El is God. This is the house of God because what I have seen here is that there's a ladder that that in my dream I saw this ladder stretching into heaven and there was a door open and those were ascending and descending upon that ladder into heaven. Jacob's ladder. We, we affectionately call it Jacob's ladder. It was a dream that he had 
of what Jesus talks about in John chapter 1, verse 51, of what we see here opening up in chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I see a door open in heaven. Right? It says this. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here. Right? Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place meta Tauta. After these things. After what things? After what things? After what things? Meta Tauta. After what things? After chapters 2 and 3. After the church age. After the church age. I'm out of time. Let me just put a cap on this. because, And I've got to do it quick. The church age is the end When everybody has assembled into the church, and God knows the last person that's going to be a part of the church, what we read, right, back in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus said, this is why I, I said I have to go back to it, chapter 4, verse, verse, uh, in First Thessalonians, brethren, this is, this is the whole context of, of what we're talking about here. He says, Paul says, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant, Concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died, lest you sorrow, sorrow as others who have no hope. For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who are dead in Jesus, or sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain, that's the church, until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For, listen, the Lord himself, Paul says, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The word caught up is harpazo. There's people that go, Christians, you talk about this rapture. There's no such word as rapture in the church. I know, there is no such word as rapture in the church. Rapture is a Latin term for harpazo, okay? So we can say, there's coming a harpazo, a day of harpazo, okay? Which means rapture, but for those naysayers out there that don't want to say that rapture is in the church, harpazo is, which actually literally means rapture in the Latin, rapture in the Latin, harpazo in the Greek. There's no argument there. He says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. What's that? At the end of the church age, the Lord is going to descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God. What did we just say in verse four of, or verse one of chapter four of Revelation? After these things, after what things? After the church age, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Well, trumpet? Yeah, we just read that in chapter four, verse one, or verse uh, uh, 17, speaking with me saying what? Come up here and I will show you things that will take place meditata after these things. So church age. All right. I believe that the church, we are at the precipice of the rapture of the church, or the harpazo of the church, or whatever you want to call it, the catching away of the church. What does that have to do with Second Thessalonians chapter 2? And I finished with this. I, I did all this to, to build this to this point. Paul says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy of the church happens, okay? And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember what I said back in Matthew chapter 24? What Jesus said? Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, that's what he's talking about right here. I'm sorry, I've got to use just two more minutes on this to go back into the Old Testament to show you who that guy is. It says, there is a prince, the Messiah is going to be cut off. The true Messiah is going to be cut off. In Daniel chapter 9. 
But there is a prince who is to come. And that is, uh, and the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist. Chapter 9, verse 26. Shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war of desolations are determined, then he, this Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, or a seven-year period is what is being spoken of here. And in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation is discerned, is poured out on the desolate. I'll get more into that in in the coming weeks, but here's the thing. That's who, that's what Jesus is talking about. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place, you need to get out of Dodge. You gotta get out of Jerusalem. You gotta get out of this place. Because he's coming to destroy you. And what Paul is saying in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, don't you, this is a guy who exalts himself above all that is called God or is that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's in reference to what Jesus said. Standing, this abomination of, of desolation, standing in the holy place. What Jesus is, what Paul is saying is he's referencing Jesus who is referencing Daniel, who is also referencing John in chapter 4, uh, you know, it, you know, in, uh, I'm sorry, in Daniel, or in Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19, the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist coming for a seven-year period to rule the earth. But it says this, Paul says, don't you remember that I told you these things when I was with you guys? So Paul had this kind of a message. He had this kind of a, a talk with the disciple or with the with the church in Thessalonia, just like what we're having right now. But then he says, and now you guys know what is restraining. That he may be revealed. The Antichrist may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. What's restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene? You and me and us as a church. We're going to know him. As soon as he comes on the scene, we're going to, Antichrist, we know. And so I don't think that we're ever going to know who the Antichrist is. Because we're going to be taken out. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 says, Come up here. And a door was standing in hope, open in heaven. And we are caught up. Paul says, caught up, raptured, harpazoed into heaven with the Lord. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The church is going to be gone. We're going to be gone. I don't want to be looking for the Antichrist. There's so many people in the church who go, I wonder if that's the Antichrist. I wonder if that's the Antichrist. I wonder if the Antichrist. Listen, I don't want to be known for looking for who the Antichrist is. I want to be looking for Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be focused on. We have a job to do, gang. And it's to represent Jesus in these last days. And I finish with this. Listen, I've said that about three times, but I am. God handpicked you. God handpicked me. And if from that window over there all the way to here is a line on the history of, of the church age, that beginning the day that it started all the way over there, 30 feet away, to where we are right here, and this is the rapture of the church, I believe we're right here, gang. We're right here. It's a, it can happen at any time. I want to be found faithful, gang. We have an apostasy happening. We have lawlessness running rampant in our country. We've got things that are so backward that, that the things that are good, they're calling bad, and the things that are bad, we're calling good. It's okay to kill babies. I, I, I'm just, I, I'm so shocked. One day, I think we're going to open our eyes and we're going to see what we allowed in our country. The barbarism that we allowed in our country to kill those who couldn't even defend themselves. It's disgusting. We continue to vote these people into power. Listen, we have an ugly history right now. 
to where it's even starting to creep into the church. The church is beginning to actually even embrace. Yeah, well, everybody has their rights. A woman has her rights. It's okay. She can, she can have that. And listen, I, I, I don't mean to sit here and start an argument, but listen, a baby is being murdered. We're in a very, very bad place. Gang, let's not get depressed. Let's recognize the days in which we're living. Let's redeem the time for the days are evil. Let's represent Christ. Because when, from that window all the way over to here, represents the church age, if that from over there, all the way over to here represents all of the people that have ever lived upon the face of this earth as a Christian. When God came to you, he handpicked you. And he handpicked me to be here and represent us in these days. Let's not, let's, let's not fail. Let's not, let's not, let's not lose what it is that God's called us to do and to be. Guys, we are to be watchmen on the wall. We are to be lights. Jesus says a light that is lit is not put under a table. It's put up on a hill. Let's be the salt that's... is one of those that has uh, encouraged you to, to, to know that, hey, we're living in these last days. Are you ready? Are you ready to see Jesus today if Jesus were to come back today? If that trumpet were to sound today, as we're leaving this place, doo -doo, come up here. You ready? There was a time that I was it. I'm ready today. How about you? Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Is there a lot of things that can change in my life? Absolutely. But it doesn't negate the fact that I am expecting Jesus to come back today. Are you? Are we? Let's do that. Amen? That makes sense? Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, help us to take this challenge today and go out and touch this world. I don't say this to scare anybody. I'm just reading your word and showing what your word says. You, you plainly lay out what, what's going on in these days. You plainly lay out the church age. You plainly lay out that you're coming back for your church one day. You plainly lay out what the purpose of the church is, is to go into all the world and Preach the good news and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you say, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What age? The church age. Father, help us to be faithful. God, take away any fear that we might have from fulfilling this plan that you have for our lives. God, help us not to be caught up into an apostasy, but may we regularly open your word and understand your word and see what you want us to be. Say what you say about sin, to see what you say about events that are going on, to see what you say about certain uh, behaviors and actions. And if your word says it's wrong, then God, help us to have the courage to call it wrong and not, not do those things. Regardless of whether or not we get pushback from our friends, family, coworkers. God, may we live for you. May our life be a, a life of worship. May we crack a smile upon your face as you look down upon each one of our lives living for you. God, I pray this wasn't a boring message and one that, ah, oh, he just did a message. God, I pray that this is stoked and sparked in each and every one of us the recognition that, man, I got to get busy. I got to live for Jesus today, man. I don't want to be found unfaithful. I want to be found faithful. God, do that in our lives. We can only do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't conjure up this kind of energy. It's got to be you. You do that in us. Pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com 
or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word.